0: Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iOS productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and as always, I'm joined by Federico Vitici. Hello, Fraser. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm not too bad. We're we're recording just at the end of the school day, so you may hear a few doors opening and closing in the background here, because uh, uh, unlike usually, the school has got people in at this time. So uh, hopefully, nobody will ring the doorbell, which <laughs> was just, just right <laughs> outside my classroom, but. Drag. The sound of people going home. <laughs> yes, <laughs> people who are not me going home, I'm afraid. Yep. So we're here. Uh, we're here today. We're going to talk, Federico, about iWork 3.0. Okay. Which is, it's... is a major milestone, I think, in the evolution of Apple's productivity suite. And I thought it would be useful just to kind of cover, you know, for people who, um, who want to do some sort of basic productivity tasks right out the box on their iOS device, iWork is going to be there for them. And of course, it includes Keynote, the one app which I think probably stands out above the rest and is, uh, as legend has it, is the one that was built for Steve Jobs himself back in the day. So we'll try and bring people up to speed on that.
1: Yeah, and it's got a major update just a couple of weeks ago, really after iOS 10, uh, Apple Demoed some of the new collaboration features and released this new update for macOS Sierra and iOS ten. But you're really the expert here, Fraser. Uh, as I was telling you, I don't, I have, I don't really have a need for iWork in my daily usage. Whereas you fall on the opposite side of the spectrum. You use iWork intensively, and I feel like you're the expert, and you need to teach me what I, what I need to know about iWork.
0: Yeah, we definitely at school we we actually use all three. Of the major kind of iOS productivity suites, I would say uh, we use Google Drive a lot for file storage, and we use occasionally use Sheets and Docs. Uh, we're increasingly using the Microsoft suite for certain things as well in certain classes. And uh, sin- really, since the school went one to one iPad, and what is that six years ago now, um, iWork has been our kind of staple office suite, if you like, for mainly for Pages and Keynote, uh, a little bit of Numbers, but most of the spreadsheet work that we do tends to be in Excel. Uh, or virtualized on Windows or Excel on iOS now as well. So, yep, I've definitely, I've definitely been around, and also I've kind of been around over the years as well. Because I think one of the interesting things about iWork is that uh, you know it was one of the launch applications with the iPad. If you remember back in, in the introduction yeah. in twenty ten, it was uh, here's the iPad. What can you do with it? Well, there's a bookstore but check out these apps as well and remember there was quite a lengthy demo with Phil Schiller showing off Keynote and Pages and Numbers which had all been ported to the iPad for day 1 and really you know when i if i look back at my experience of you know starting the first whole school one to one iPad program that was the minute that i realized this was going to be a thing was when i saw Phil Schiller sit down on that uh, that sort of comfy chair on the stage, which you don't normally see at Apple Keynotes, and demonstrate Pages and Numbers and Keynote, and I suddenly realise that the iPad is not just—it's not just the smartphone blowing up, which is what everybody says it was. It's actually the Mac made portable, even more portable than a laptop. Because if you think about it, iWork, and even you know GarageBand and iMovie and so on, those are all desktop applications brought onto the mobile world. Uh, and that was what made it so interesting to me back in the day. So uh, Keynote uh, but in particular has a special place in my heart as an iOS app.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, Apple made a big deal about the fact that there were Bringing the full productivity suit to the iPad, and they even had um a keyboard dock for probably the before the smart keyboard with the iPad pro. It was the only first party keyboard that apple made for for the iPad, so they made a big splash you know with this announcement they wanted to bring iWork to the iPad and they wanted to show how it was not just for reading books and magazines and you know watching YouTube videos. It could be a serious work machine, but as we as we saw th- throughout the years. It wasn't the full iWork uh, suite of apps uh, because many features were missing from the Mac version. And of course, um, Apple did a sort of a relaunch of iWork in
0: 2013 with iWork 2.0. And that was, uh, you know, there's always two ways to achieve equality, right? like <laughs> yeah. You can bring the bottom up or you can bring the top down. And uh, <laughs> Apple maybe achieved equality by doing a little bit of both uh, in that release. And, and, of course, the there was a lot of complaints at that time, about the, the 09 version of iWork had been, you know, quote-unquote emasculated uh, and features had been lost. Uh, many people perceived that as being a kind of backport of the iOS version back to the Mac. Uh, now, technically, I can't say whether that was actually technically true or not but it certainly seemed like you know the mac versions were sort of capped to most of the features that the ios version had in particular some features were lost such as the ability to mail merge between a, a number spreadsheet and a pages document that feature no longer exists and I, i'm not sure if it's been brought back on the mac it certainly never existed on ios uh, and there were certainly you wrote about a response that apple apple had to come out and talk about what they were planning to do to bring that back Yeah, there was so
1: much backlash uh, when Apple wanted to achieve feature parity and they removed features from the Mac version that Apple had to put out sort of a document like an FAQ page to promise that a lot of features would come back to the Mac version as Apple wanted to advance the iOS and Mac versions in lockstep. And um, But I remember, for example, a lot of people complaining about AppleScript and many other scripting features being stripped away from the iWork 2.0 relaunch and Apple had to reassure pro users that, hey, don't worry, it's coming back to the Mac, we just need to start from this new foundation, but I also remember uh, that there were um, legacy document format issues uh, for people that wanted to use I work uh, 2009 format, uh, and there were problems when
0: moving to iWork 2. Yeah, the iWork document format went through a really rough time just after that because we had a huge problem in school as well because a lot of files on the Mac are what you call bundles, right? And, and bundles are folders of files which the Finder makes look to the user like it's a file but it's in fact a folder structure and what happened was in in earlier generations the iWork file format had been a zipped version of that and and the application would unzip it on the fly and work with it but they abandoned that in iWork 2.0 and it was a huge problem because then you couldn't attach a pages document to gmail for example because gmail didn't understand that structure and you couldn't upload it to google drive or things like that and it was really really difficult for a year or so in school uh, because of that because we used all of those kind of features. Uh, but in, later on, they, they sort of reversed that and they made it so that you could they could now interoperate the file much more easily with other other platforms. So iWork went through a really rough time uh, just a few years ago. But today, I would say it is really the fruits of that decision have been born finally, where we now have a, a situation where iWork is a very uh, it's a very um, I'm trying to think of the word it's a very consistent platform across both well all three platforms that it runs on because today what is iWork today? Today is the three applications pages keynote and numbers on macOS on iOS and in the browser through iWork.com or iCloud as well and those are three major platforms if you like and and one of the the main purpose I believe of those web-based versions was to essentially port iWork to both Windows and Chrome OS Without having to go native on well native on Windows and of course the web is the native platform in Chrome OS and I think one of the main reasons for doing that was if you think about schools where you might have a mixed situation of Chrome OS Chromebooks and uh, iOS devices to be able to still use iWork across both of those platforms is a pretty powerful a powerful feature so those web apps are actually really nice I, I don't use them very much because obviously I've got Macs and iPads around. Uh, but for people who are on, on Windows from time to time, being able to log in in a browser and do work on their iWork documents is a, is a pretty powerful capability.
1: So I'm going to give you a quick uh, anecdote here. Um, I just logged into my Mac, which I only used to talk to you and Mike and Steven on Skype. And uh, you sent me a link to a shared uh, pages. you in a minute. So when I clicked the link... Um, I tried to open Pages, but it said uh, this document cannot be opened in Pages right now, probably because I haven't updated Pages to the latest version, and I'm not running Sierra. So uh, Pages offered to go to iCloud.com, and it opened the same document with the same interface, only in a web app, on iCloud.com, and I'm collaborating with you right now uh, on a shared document in the browser. I'm using Safari, so I'm not on Sierra. I'm on uh, El Capitan, I guess. And I'm still looking at the same document and I'm looking at a pages interface
0: on the web. So I guess that the system works. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it does work. And uh, they do quite a good job of handing you off to the right thing in the right place. And it's remarkable to me. You know, Apple is often thought of as the company who can't do the web, you know, and they, yet they do these incredibly rich and, and you know powerful web apps as well. So yeah, it's quite interesting to see. And, and people don't really think about that as, you know, Apple's got a web-based you know office suite but they do uh, and it's it's very handy when you need it you know when when it comes to the time that you need access to a document without any of your apple devices around
1: so let's talk about iwork for ios because since the iwork 2.0 relaunch things have gotten better i think
0: yeah very much i think one the first thing that got better with with that version was uh, interoperability between the mac and ios and in, in previous times, when, when I started using iWork on iOS, what I would do is I, I would either use the files on the Mac or I would use the files on iOS, but I would basically never do uh, any transfer between the two because you could get into weird situations with a file format. And, you know, if I edited it on iOS and I put something in there, or if you edited it on the Mac and put in a feature that the iOS version didn't support. And it was even down to things like, uh, in the keynote templates, the fonts were not the same on both platforms, even though the name, you know, the gradient theme or the the, the photo gallery theme were all the same. Um, the the actual font sizes were different, which was kind of crazy. It would make you make you a bit mad. So today we've got a much more consistent platform. And really, the question I wanted to ask in this show is, since we're focused on iOS productivity, is how good are these tools as standalone tools in iOS? You know, do they make iOS a powerful platform? Uh, and I think, uh, you know, you mentioned the keyboard dock as being one part. And, of course, you've got smart keyboard today as well. But one of the things that makes uh, iWork very interesting is that it comes free and pre-installed on almost all new iOS devices. And this is, I, I kind of ran into this problem when we were deploying apps a few years ago. Um, the rule is that it's free to the first Apple ID to sign in on a brand newly purchased device. Mm. So, so I, it, I never it, understood this yeah. part. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm one of the few people who knows the rule for this, right? But <laughs> if, you, if you buy an iPad out, out the box, out the shrink wrap from the Apple store, and you're the first person to sign into that iPad, you can claim the license for the apps that are pre-installed. So they're basically installed there. They're on the storage of the device. Pages, keynote numbers, garage bands, um, iMovie and various other things, but those are the, the paid applications. Uh, you can claim them if you sign in with your Apple ID, you can claim those licenses and you get them. But say that I was to then erase that iPad, restore it and then sell it to you, you would not be able to get a copy from the same device because essentially the, the iPad serial number is blacklisted as having reclaimed its licenses and then you can't ever get additional copies. Even if you make a new Apple ID, any of that stuff, it's the first person to use that on that new device. Uh, is the person who gets the license.
1: See, I needed that explanation because for some reason I I always found the iWork apps to be free but then I go to the app store and I see iWork in the top paid apps and I never quite understood how the system worked. So thank you for the explanation.
0: It's a little crazy-making, and I've been caught out with it a couple of times as well. The other thing that happens—I don't know if any listeners also work in schools—but if you say you lease or buy a huge number of iPads for your school, you can actually go through a—it's called the iOS fulfillment process—and you can actually claim you know however many devices you've bought, all those copies. So in our in our volume purchase program, there we have we've now got something like 500 copies because you know, that's about the number of iPads that we've had through our school over years. Uh, we've got all those free copies now. So we're, we're we're now way over the number we actually need. So you know, <laughs> every three years, every time we get a new lease, we can get a whole new fleet of licenses as well. So we're going to end up with millions of licenses by the time we're done with this. So iWork, the interesting thing about iWork for me, from, from a kind of productivity point of view, is that it's there for everybody. Like from day one, you can start working with keynote pages and numbers on, on your iOS device. And Federico, let me thank our sponsor for this week and then we'll dig into Keynote, I think, because that's certainly my favorite. All right. So this week's episode is brought to you by Pingdom. You can start monitoring your websites and service today at pingdom.com slash canvas. You'll get a 14-day free trial when you off- enter the offer code canvas at checkout and you get 20% off your first invoice. Now, Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who's got a site. And they do this by offering a powerful and easy-to-use set of tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and the performance of your server, database or website will be a breeze. Pingdom take care of this by using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and very often include several dependencies such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality and loads more. So Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all these different key interactions on your site. It's not just about the whole site anymore, it's about all the parts of your site. Every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages, which is more than 400,000 a day. So regardless of whether you've got a small website or you're managing a whole infrastructure, it's super important to monitor its availability and its performance. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. When Pingdom detects an outage, you are immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you. You don't want to be caught out when someone wants to access your site, so you need Pingdom. Check it out today and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. So go to pingdom.com slash canvas for a 14-day free trial and use the code CANVAS to get 20% off at checkout. Thanks to Pingdom for supporting Canvas. So Federico, my favorite app, Keynote for iOS. Okay, tell me how to make presentations. Here we go. So I have <laughs> really been I've been creating and presenting exclusively with Keynote on iOS for years now, uh, and certainly today it's something that I wouldn't even think about. It just that's what I do. That's how I make a presentation. Is I get my iPad out and I fire up Keynote and I do something with it. And I think that if I remember rightly, the first trip I took uh, just with my iPad was not long after the iPad came out. I left my I left my Mac at home. And just travelled with with the iPad, and it worked fine. It had the you know the thirty pin to VGA adapter back then. Of course, the adapters are different now. And just went and uh, presented with that, and it worked really, really well. Keynote for iOS really supports a, a huge number of features that you need to build a good presentation. Now you can always find well, there's a feature it doesn't support, right? It, it's not total feature parity with with the version on the Mac. And in particular, there's one or two things like being able to animate things inside a slide. So you've seen examples in Apple keynotes where the slide starts blank and then something flies in or it starts with something on the slide and it flies away. Those are called builds in and out. But on the Mac version, it supports the thing called actions, which are builds where something starts on the slide, moves and then stays on the slide. Keynote for iOS doesn't support that particular feature but it does support things like themes. There's a huge range of themes come with the app. That's part of the reason why the app is 500 megs to download, by the way, uh, which routinely kills my school network from time to time. Uh, but it supports more builds and transitions, all those animations, the transitions between uh, different slides and, and the animations where things come on and go off. And it really supports more than you should really ever consider using, right? <laughs> if, if you find yourself short of new transitions to using Keynote, you've already used too many transitions in Keynote. You've also, one of the things I really like about Keynote is that you have sort of built in easy access to your photos. So you just hit the plus button in Keynote, you can go into your photo library, pull something out and use it, photos and videos. So it makes the whole workflow really easy. When you've got a camera right there and you've got a video camera right on the device, you can just go shoot, 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 put it into Keynote and you're done. We do a lot of that in school and it's really, really easy for the kids to use. You've also got f- more advanced features like presenter display on the iPad screen so if you connect your iPad to say an Apple TV or a VGA cable with an adapter you will see a, a custom view for you as a presenter on your screen and the, the audience will just see the presentation up on the big display. So that And that can be customized in a number of different ways which we'll talk about. You can also do some cool things like you can mark up slides live on the screen. So if you have if you have a, a slide up on the screen, you can actually draw with your finger on your iPad, and that that virtual ink will be showing up on the screen to the audience as well. And you've also got a laser pointer in there as well, so you can just hold your finger down, and a little red dot just follows your finger around, so you can point at things without having to actually you know, swing a laser around a dark room and uh, potentially blame people with it as well. So there's, there's a good number of features, but I do have some kind of criticisms of Keynote for iOS. Some of them are starting to be addressed. Keynote 3.0 started to address some of them. But mainly my complaint about Keynote is that it doesn't seem to do enough yet when presenting on an iPad Pro. And in particular, that presenter display, that's the display that only the presenter sees, is quite limited and hasn't really changed in, in a number of years. So you can, see, you can have a number of options there. So you can see your current slide. You can see the next slide. You can see current and next side by side or you could see the current slide and your notes, or the next slide and your notes. But you can't mix it up. And that's one of the features I really liked in the Mac version of Keynote, was that you could customize that presenter display to however it was you like to do it. You could have you know, a big, uh, big current slide and a small next slide, and the notes, and a clock, and a timer. You can put all that stuff in there. And Keynote does support some of that, but it's like five sort of fixed layouts rather than Customizable layout, and I think the iPad Pro now has enough kind of screen space that you could build something like that so that's that's something I'd like to see happen a little bit more on the iPad screen. but in terms of presenting with keynote, it's really very straightforward. You just connect your iPad to the display, you hit the play button, you'll notice uh, if you do connect to a display that the play button gets a kind of TV border around it when you're on a different screen, and you just hit play and your presentation begins. One of the things that many speakers like to use, of course, is a slide clicker, you know, a little remote control in the hand that you can use to advance your slides and your bills. And Keynote does support, Keynote can sort of act as its own slide clicker, which is kind of hard to, people don't kind of understand this very well. But basically, if you have Keynote installed on your iPad and your iPad is connected to the projector, and then you also have Keynote installed on your iPhone, you can pair the two of them over Bluetooth And then the Keynote version on your iPhone can act as the remote control for the version on your iPad, which is great, particularly if you have a smaller iPhone. The iPhone 6 Plus, or 7 Plus, I should say, is a little big for that, but I've kind of figured out how to use that over the years. Uh, And that's really pretty reliable. I've not had a lot of problems with that overall. Keynote doesn't really support um, proper hardware clickers, although there are some that I've heard about. People have said, well, this one function works if you have a Bluetooth Clicker and things like that. But I haven't really seen one yet that's properly built for Keynote for iOS that, that does all the right things, so... That's certainly a feature I would like to see at some point in the future mm-hmm. as well.
1: So, I've also seen people doing like uh, design mock ups and like concepts in Keynote. That seems like another use case. I mean, even Apple had a, a session at WWDC, I think, about doing design animations and concepts uh, inside Keynote. So, it can, it can even go beyond presentations. You can do stuff like rearrange design elements on screen to mock up like a fake interaction of, a, of an app, for example.
0: Yeah, we, we use that in school actually as a project with one of our year groups where the feature you're looking for is called interactive hyperlinks. And what that lets you do is it lets you make any object you can put on a keynote slide be a link. And it can be a link in the sense of a link to the web, but you can also have it be a, a link to another slide in your deck. So we, I had one kid last year who he actually recreated a, a kind of indoor Google, Google Street View using an, an app called uh, Room Planner, I think it was called. And what that, what that lets you do is make let you make a 3D house. And what he did was he made a 3D house and he took a bunch of screenshots at different angles through the house. And then he put all those screenshots into Keynote and he drew little Google Street View arrows on the ground and he made each one of them a link to another view in the house. So you could actually walk through his house uh, as if it was in Google Street View. Uh, and that was all done in Keynote. That's, That's crazy. Right? So, yeah. I do another project where I ask kids to imagine they're making a... Uh, a touchscreen kiosk for a museum and they've got to kind of do the in- the information design part of that so they would you know, think about their top level idea and then they would break it down into different points and then they would break it down into sub pages and they have to design all that out and lay it out and then they have to build it in keynotes so with little buttons so you can press a button and it takes you to this information page and a menu button to go back and so on uh, and c- you can build that quite easily and-, and that's certainly a use case that you could you could see, you know, building iPads into some kind of information situation uh, just by doing that. And you can build that all up in Keynote, no problem.
1: Wow. There, there, there's a lot of, of features that I was not aware of.
0: Yeah. Keynote goes pretty deep. Even on iOS, it goes pretty deep. Uh, and just if you think about different ways to use it, it can be really good fun. Nice. I just wanted to say one other thing about the present, the remote control feature in Keynote. You remember, it used, there used to be an app called Keynote Remote, yeah. which was a separate purchase and that could talk to Keynote. That has been discontinued and the feature has been merged into Keynote itself. But don't forget, you can also do it the other way around. So you can have uh, Keynote on your iPad, remote controlling Keynote on your iPhone, which is connected to the projector. And I often do it that way, actually, partly because um, up until recently, my iPhone was actually faster than my iPad, a bit more powerful. But also, if you're standing at a podium or a lectern or something like that, Having the big iPad in front of you is actually a better experience for you. Everything's a little bit bigger and easier to see you than it is on your phone. And you can put the phone's certainly fast enough nowadays to, to present the video or present the, the presentation. Uh, so you can actually do it either way. You can connect your iPad to your phone or your phone to your iPad. And for me, it just depends how much I'm going to be walking around and moving on the stage. If I'm doing a lot of walk around, that's going to be the phone controlling the iPad. But if I'm standing in one place, say there's a microphone and it's screwed to a desk, uh, I would probably use the iPad to control the phone instead. Nice. Yeah. You can tell I've done this a few times. Yeah, you really (laughs) Um, do sound like the type of
1: person who spends hours inside Keynote.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know if it's my most used app on iOS. Probably not. I mean, probably Twitter app is the most used (laughs) app. But um, in in terms of like hours spent building things on iOS, there's no doubt I spend most of my time uh, building things in in Keynote, I would say. Very cool. So there's a new feature in Keynote 3.0, which Apple never mentioned in the the iPhone presentation, but it has been surprisingly uh, powerful already for me, which is this thing called Keynote Live. I don't huh, know if you caught much of this. No, what is it? So, Keynote Live is basically a way to live present your Keynote file across the internet to people on various platforms. Huh. So, what you do is you in, in Keynote you, you hit the uh, share button and you say uh, play with use Keynote Live, I think it's called. And what happens there is it, it uploads your your presentation to iCloud. And it gives you back uh, an iCloud.com URL that you can share with people. And that URL uh, can be, of course, just emailed or messaged or posted on Twitter or whatever. And when people click on that URL, if they have Keynote installed in their iOS device or their Mac, that URL will open in Keynote and it will connect to your presentation session. And then when you press play on your device, uh, all the viewers will start to see that. Now, if the if the user doesn't have iOS excuse me doesn't have keynote installed on any device maybe they're on a windows computer for example it'll take them to the web and there's a web-based playback feature as well so people can follow along with this wherever they're at now this isn't the same thing as for example uploading your presentation to slideshare slideshare is a permanent place where you can just go and look at somebody's presentation file This is a synchronous presentation, so viewers have to be connected to it at the time you're presenting, and if they connect later to the same URL, say you've posted it on a website or Twitter, they'll just see the presenter has not started the presentation yet, and they won't see your slides unless you're actively presenting them. As far as I know, those URLs are persistent, so you could come back to them later, you could post them on a website, you could host them somewhere, uh, put them in an iTunes U course if you're a teacher, for example. Uh, and people can come back to it. And you, if you reopen the file, it will reconnect to that session and you can you can uh, start playing it again, for example. As far as I know, if, if people are watching in Keynote, they should see almost all or all of the transitions and builds that you've put into your Keynote file. So if Keynote supports it, it will play it. The web version is a little more limited uh, some of the more sophisticated tr- builds and transitions, such as the flames transition, for example, uh, don't seem to play on the web, but I haven't really found a, a comprehensive list of which ones are supported and which ones are not just yet. I guess it's kind of early days for that. So this means you can,
1: in theory, like uh, stream a presentation and do something like a live video of your presentation live on the web.
0: Almost, almost. The thing that it doesn't have, as far as I can see, is it doesn't have an audio channel. Mm. So it's not quite a WebEx killer just yet. Uh-huh. Uh, but say you were on a, uh, like a, a landline conference call, you could share around the URL in advance and you could say, right, everybody, let's just tune into my keynote now and let's look at it. Yeah. So yeah. You, you could, instead of having to have a very complex online webinar, you could just have everybody on keynote or on a web browser and a phone call. It's been a long time um, since I heard the word webinar. <laughs> webinar, you're welcome to my world, yeah. yeah. Um, not only have I been on them, I'm now involved in sometimes doing them as well. So that's the way my life has gone. Um, but of course, you can see there's a possibility, like, could that get integrated with, say, you know, FaceTime exactly. in yeah. the future? you know or facetime audio or something like that that would be very cool
1: yeah that'd be interesting especially when you add like audio features or like the ability for um people are watching to leave comments i mean it could be Mm -hmm. like a serious collaboration platform uh that'd be really interesting to see
0: yeah i think it's got a lot of potential it's it's obviously you know the first the first problem now is that it exists which is great and then you could see well what could happen with that in, in days to come as well so uh it's a very unexpected feature i didn't think something that big was going to come alongside the collaboration features they brought out in 3.0 but it's very welcome and and once i get everybody updated in school i'm going to start experimenting with instead of presenting you know on a tv in the classroom yeah what would it be like if i presented just to all the kids ipads through for example we'll see
1: all right so let's talk about pages i feel like it's the app that i understand more so it's a, it's a word processor, but it's also a page layout app, and this is where I start to get lost because every time every time I start I try to use Pages, I would use it as a word processor, uh, like an alternative to Microsoft Word, for example, to write documents in rich text. But I you know I use Markdown for Mac stories, I use plain text, so I don't really have a need for Pages, and and I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of features when it comes to the page layout. Uh, aspect that I don't understand and I, because I don't need them but I feel like Apple has been adding a lot of stuff over the past few years and especially on the, on the 12.9 inch iPad Pro they shipped with version 3.0 this new um, toolbar, that you, this new sidebar that you can open on the side because of the bigger screen with all of these formatting controls. It seems to me like it's really powerful.
0: Yeah, that was one of the, the major kind of interface innovations, perhaps one of the first real interface innovations we've seen for an iPad app from Apple since since they went to the 12.9-inch iPad. But what they've done is they've essentially taken items that used to be in popover menus at the top of the screen uh, behind little icons, and they've put it into a persistent sidebar that you can collapse or, or open, show or hide, basically, Um which is the way the Mac version has been for a while, like a, a sidebar inside the window that sort of you know, squishes the content a little bit. Uh, and when, it, when I talk about Pages as being a word processor and a page layout app, what I'm trying to kind of convey there is that you could, instead of just you know clicking in, in the body of the text and typing all the way down to the bottom, you can actually use text boxes and shapes and photographs and, and all of that kind of thing. And you can compose a page layout with that. Without using the main column of text that you would normally get in in a in a document. Now that's not something that is is new to Pages on iOS. It's not a new feature, but it's something to be aware of in terms of like if you need to lay a poster, for example, a classic you know exercise we do in school for children to demonstrate their learning uh, of a certain topic. Uh, they can just open up a blank Pages document and instead of just starting to type, they can start to throw in images and shapes and diagrams and text boxes. Uh, and that gives them very free-form control over where things go on the screen. And then from that, they can start to build up a poster and start to uh, use that, and use the layout and grouping those objects. So you might have, have a a blue box and you can group over the top of it, a text box, and then you can edit that and so on. So Pages has a, has a pretty significant range of features. You know, If you're used to Microsoft Word on the desktop, Pages are going to seem incredibly limited to you uh, because it doesn't have things like Uh, you know, bibliography and table of contents and all that stuff. But if you're just wanting to, you know, type out an essay, for example, in school, uh, or, you know, make a poster or make an invitation or something like that, Pages for iOS has really got you covered because you can do kind of things like uh, multi-column layouts, you can do headers and footers, margins. It supports a document ruler, uh, you can have paragraph styles as well based on the theme of the document you've created. One of the big limitations of Pages for me is that you can't modify or create paragraph styles on iOS. That's never been possible. Mm-hmm. And it feels to me like a big omission because it's something that you might want to do because you know their templates aren't always the one you want. You might want something slightly different. Could you see Pages
1: uh, adding some of the features of iBooks Author from the Mac?
0: Well, it's always been a mystery to me why iBooks Author isn't an iOS app, you know, because it's it's an authoring tool built on the Mac for the iOS environment. You know, why <laughs> not author right on iOS? You know, I mean, I think I know the answer, which is so that publishers can drag and drop their Word documents into, into an iBooks Author file. But it feels to me like that's just crying out to be turned into an iPad app.
1: Yeah, I remember one of my last um, experiences with using a Mac for work was uh, three years ago when I published my iBooks version of my editorial review. So mm-hmm. I posted this huge editorial story on, on, on the website. And then people asked me, hey, why don't you make this an ebook? And I made it an iBook for uh, for the iPad and the iPhone. And I you know uh, added a bunch of extra uh, features that were not on the web, like videos and animations. And I used iBooks author. And I remember back then, I was using this app on my MacBook. And I was thinking, why can I cannot do this on the the iPad instead because even the testing process of authoring on the Mac and having to test the live version via USB cable on the iPad, it seems just so clunky and it would make so much sense to be able to do everything on the iPad. But then again, you can make the same argument for Xcode, for example. Why Am I forced to write you know, code to make an iOS app uh, on the Mac when I w- just want to write it and test it on the iPad? I guess maybe it just needs time, and maybe iBooks Author is not a huge priority for Apple at, the, at this time. It's probably never been, so...
0: Yeah, I think it, the iBooks author is, I think it was there to, to do a certain job around about textbooks in the United States, but it's not, right. Uh, it's clearly not had a lot of love since then and, and it's not been brought along in the same way, you know, it doesn't have collaboration features, for example, yeah. in the way that the other uh, iWork apps have.
1: So tell me why every time I use Pages, mm-hmm. I cannot figure out why it doesn't keep my Zoom level so it keeps, like the zooming is strange. Like I keep zooming into a document and then it resets my zooming level uh, probably because it's not made to adapt to the smaller screen. Like I I don't understand, maybe I'm doing something wrong.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's there's a mode called Fit where you can have it fit oh, to the size okay. of the window. And depending on the size of the window, it sort of follows that. But then when you rotate and when you, you know, you're in landscape and portrait, it it can get a little bit, this interpretation of fit seems a bit weird at times. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you would like Pages to do? Well, the one thing we always want in school that it doesn't do is, is you can't zoom out below 100%. Uh, you can do this in Word on iOS, for example. You, if you pinch outwards, uh, you can see like, the whole page on one screen. Whereas on iOS, the, the, the smallest size you can do on, on Pages is you can uh, reduce it to 100%. So you, you can't zoom out and get an overview of your whole document, which if you were doing a poster or something, you might want to reasonably see that. Um, that's one particular thing. Very selfishly, I, w- I would actually like it to support mail merge because I've got a course where uh, you know, 40% of the reason I've got to go onto a virtual Windows machine is because I need to do a mail merge exercise uh, as specified by the exam board. So uh, I actually want some old-fashioned features to be brought back in just so I can do my course on, on iWork again.
1: You know, it's probably a crazy idea, but after writing my iOS 10 review in Scrivener this summer, I was thinking, you know, it'd be nice if Pages could allow me to write in rich text and export everything in Markdown. I know Mm -hmm. Apple is never going to do it because they... They don't really use Markdown aside from like Swift Playgrounds, but it'd be nice to just, you know, to have an exporting option as Markdown. Uh, It'd be really convenient. I mean, I I would use Pages more if there was an option to just go straight to Markdown uh, at the end.
0: Yeah. Uh, Pages on iOS does export as EPUB though, which is quite a sophisticated feature for for a mobile word processor. Um, So I suppose it's not outside the bounds of possibility, although you would have to, the interpretation of a lot of the structures yeah. in a Pages yeah. document would be quite complex as a Markdown document. For example, Pages can do pretty sophisticated tables as well, um, and you can do a lot in there, uh, and and representing that as Markdown might be quite tricky. Yeah. So those are kind of the two big ones, and then we come to the baby of the family, which is of course numbers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. poor numbers. <laughs> poor old numbers. Yeah, yeah. Numbers never gets the recognition it deserves. Um, I've described it in the notes as the black sheep of the iWork family. I don't think that's really fair to Numbers because it hasn't done anything wrong. It's just, I, I think people don't, uh, people either love spreadsheets and always want to use Excel or they just don't use spreadsheets at all. And I think when when Numbers first came out on the Mac, it was it was kind of billed as a spreadsheet you'll love to use. Uh, and I don't know that anybody, well, not many people fall into that category, but uh, uh, maybe computer science teachers love a spreadsheet, I don't know. But um. To me, really, the only thing that's really interesting about numbers either on iOS or on the Mac is that it has the idea of having multiple tables on a canvas rather than Excel's model. Or I suppose the model goes back to apps that VisiCalc is the entire window canvas is one huge big table that just grows infinitely in both directions. So with numbers, you can kind of design a spreadsheet to be more visually appealing when you print it out. Um, but apart from that, it, it basically does the same kind of things that you'd normally want in a spreadsheet. It supports, um, a lot of the, uh, normal functions you would get in Excel, some of the more sophisticated ones, but not the superpower features like pivot tables, for example, which are on the desktop versions of Excel on Mac and windows, but they're not even in the iOS version of Excel, the uh, numbers either. So, uh, yeah, I mean, numbers does a fine job, but it's not. Uh, it's not crazy, uh, crazy powerful in any sense.
1: Which leaves us to talk about collaboration on iOS, which launched with the uh, version 3.0. And mm-hmm. Apple at a demo at the iPhone event, which is a big change because Apple tried collaboration before, but it was never real-time collaboration. Whereas yeah. now they added real-time collaboration to iWork, and you can and it's kind of like Google Docs. Basically, you can share a document with other people, and you can see other people collaborating on the same document it's not exactly like google docs where you can see like different colors for uh different people uh with the with the cursor for example in the same document it's not as fast as google docs or quip for instance mm-hmm. and i even had a problem myself with a uh, we shared the document with the guys that connected the other show that we have on FM, uh, and I ran into an error where it tried to tell me, we cannot save your changes, you got to create another copy. But then I've also been using collaboration with you, and I haven't seen this problem reappear again. So maybe it was a you know, one-time issue. Uh, it, the basics seem fine to me, and I know that you tested a real-time collaboration with a lot more people.
0: Yeah, I, I threw open to Twitter, which You're was a crazy man. A, an interesting <laughs> idea. Um, I, but I just all I did very simply was I, when you say start using collaboration, again, it gives you an iCloud.com URL. I just pasted that into a tweet and fired it out and said, come test this with me. And we had over the course of about 30, 40 minutes, we had upwards of 30 different editors came in and made changes to the document. Uh, and then I would say that the peak number of concurrent editors we had was maybe 15 or 16 editing at once uh, and people were throwing in things you know high-res pictures making changes to text boxes two people working in the same text box at once things like that and for me it held up extremely well and I was actually running this all from my phone I wasn't even using my iPad for example and, and it worked really really well so I, I think um I mean, it's not that I've never had an issue with Google Docs either, because you know, one in a thousand times I'll get a problem with Google Docs. So I don't know if you were just unlucky there, um, but the, I suppose the question is, how often do you see that? You know, is it one in a thousand times you get that problem or is it one in five times? Uh, and I think uh, I haven't used it a lot yet because obviously our workflows are kind of quite established. And one of the issues that I have with the collaboration features in iOS is that because there's no underlying collaboration model in iCloud Drive, every time you share a document with somebody, it's necessarily a kind of ad hoc collaboration where I've got my documents, I'm going to invite you into this one document, we're gonna do some work together, but then every time I make a new document, I have to invite you again into that one and into that one and into that one. Right. Whereas in, in a platform like Google Drive or Dropbox, you can have a shared folder. Exactly. And you and I share the folder, And then anything that goes in there becomes a collaborative document. So I think for me, I'm pleased that Apple have done it this way because essentially they've done the really hard part, which is the live collaboration in the apps. And then by comparison, adding shared folders to iCloud Drive is fairly straightforward compared compared to what they've done.
1: Yeah, I was about to mention that it seems like the next obvious step is to kind of follow Dropbox in the sense of, I want to share this folder with you and I want to associate other documents to this folder. So for example, I want to share a bunch of files with Fraser, uh, such as, you know, the, the Canvas folder that we have in Dropbox, and we can put a bunch of files in iCloud Drive and access the same files. But then we also want to put iWork documents into this folder and it retains the sharing properties of the, ba- of the root folder. And then we can also collaborate in pages or numbers whatever and keep it in the same shared folder so it seems that it's the next obvious step would be a, re- a redesign of iCloud Drive because the new interface on the iPad really doesn't cut it and yeah I know right no. <laughs> and uh, on top of that bringing the sharing features of notes and you know iWork into iCloud Drive that would be that would be a pretty sweet deal
0: yeah yeah I think that's, that definitely is where this needs to go next um Overall, though, you know, with uh, with iWork, I, I use it regularly at work, and uh, we use Google Docs as well. But iWork is is kind of what teachers use with the students, and we tend to use Google Docs with each other. Um, but the thing, that, just to kind of end this, is is to I'd like to kind of praise all the applications on in the iWork suite on iOS because what they are is excellent iOS citizens. And you look at everybody else's apps and you think. I just wish that was a bit more like iWork, you know, because iWork does everything right in terms of it's easy to share the documents with other applications. So when you share a document of iWork, any of the platforms, you get Apple's format, you get Microsoft's equivalent format, you get PDF. And if you have any other relevant formats, you get them as well. So, for example, Pages can also share EPUB and uh, numbers can share CSV, things like that. You can also import CSV into numbers as well, which is quite a helpful way to look at a CSV file that you've, say, downloaded from the web and you don't know what to do with it. You can open it up in numbers and get a look at it as well. And many of the interface elements, uh, the way things are handled, such as uh, folders of files, persistent toolbars, popover menus, formatting, selection of objects, all of those things, uh, those are, for me, those are the gold standard behaviours on iOS. And if any developers are listening, do your best to work like iWork yeah, Yeah. uh, because they they are some of the best applications on the iOS platform. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So there's a quick run through iWork for iOS. Uh, It's free. It's probably on your device already. Why not go try it out? So this has been our show on iWork 3.0. This is Canvas episode 20, I believe. Federico, we've made it to 20 episodes. That's not a bad run so far. Yeah,
1: we're going, we're going, Fraser. Uh, still lots to cover, but I feel like we're, we're, we've made the first steps. Now we're, we're, we're growing up. We're, teenage- yeah, we we're teenagers of iOS
0: productivity. Soon we'll have a driving license. <laughs> Something like that. And you get it before you're 20, of course. So, show notes for this episode are at relay.fm canvas 20. You can connect with the show at underscore canvas.fm on Twitter. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter. Federico is Vitici